0: Hello and welcome to episode four of ON the Saints. I'm your host Patrick Surliss. With me once again this week is my co-host Jack Serlis. Jack, how are things going in the UK?
1: Things are all right Pat. Um, We've recently had the lockdown extended by three weeks here so there's going to be an obscene amount of Call of Duty being played, a lot of football manager and to be fair the BBC have put quite a lot of highlights of uh, the FA Cup on the TV. So I'm just smashing through that. It was Chesterfield versus Middlesbrough this afternoon. So that's what's getting me through my day-to-day.
0: That sounds good, actually. I'd kill for some Chesterfield, Middlesbrough. Absolutely zero football highlights of any kind of football in Tampa at the moment. Just lots of reality TV, lots of Bravo. Um, yeah, which the less said, the better, I think.
1: Yeah, I don't really think our listeners want to be hearing about reality TV in Tampa. at the moment, No,
0: I mean, I don't even want to be hearing about it. So yeah. Um, (laughs) But this week, we are speaking to Saints cult hero, a fan favorite, someone that I absolutely loved watching at St. Mary's. It's Richard Chaplow. So in a few minutes, we'll be chatting to Richard. Before we do, I just wanted to mention last week's episode with Dexter Blackstock. It was great to listen to Dexter talk about what he's been doing with his new company, MediConnect. And an absolutely fantastic initiative on his part to help the NHS and and care homes and hospices in need of PPE. He's been helping helping to address that shortage um, through his new business. Um, And it was really interesting to to, to chat to him um, about the um, website that he's created that people can donate to and can direct PPE to hospitals that they think need it. So really interesting listening with Dexter and, and you can check that out. It's uh, it's episode three. Um, and it was brilliant kind of selfishly as well to, to see that that interview got picked up by the daily mail. Um, they ran a story from our quotes, which is fantastic. The daily star did that as well, which is less fantastic, but still good. <laughs> and <laughs> the BBC also interviewed Dexter on, on what he's been up to. Um, so yeah, I mean, just to kind of step back for a little bit, very, very happy from, from our point of view to, to, be, yeah. to be making news, basically. So pretty good going for us, I think.
1: Definitely. We're moving on up in the world, aren't we, Pat? But <laughs> exactly. oh, no, I think it was a super interesting interview and I think it's great to see Dexter get the recognition that he deserves because what he's doing is unbelievable, you know, during this crisis, helping people in need out. So I think it was, it was fantastic to see those kind of national news outlets pick up the story.
0: Absolutely. Um, and moving on to this week, as mentioned, we're talking to Chappers, which is it's a really interesting conversation that we've got. He kind of goes into massive amounts of detail on his career at Saints. It's about an hour and 20 minutes in total. So, so settling for that, he kind of goes from joining the club initially in 2006 on loan through to rejoining us. Um, a few years later, playing a key part in the League One and the Championship promotion campaigns. Um, some great stories from the training ground, working with with Nigel Adkins and, and, and training with Ricky Lambert, lalano He's got some great stories there. Um, also talks about turning down Swansea to join Saints, about potentially returning to St. Mary's one day as a coach. Now he's coaching in the US, but it was interesting to talk to him about his long-term ambitions um, and a bunch of other little tidbits that That were it was just great to chat to him. Basically, one of them being kind of being replaced by James Ward-Prowse on the opening day of the season um, against Man City, um, which I found really interesting as well. Mm. So, just from just from your side of things, Jack, what are your memories of of watching Chappers on the field for Saints?
1: Yeah, when I think of Chappers playing for us, I immediately think of that League One promotion campaign in that iconic sash kit that we had. And, yeah, he was a player that you'd always, always be happy to see in the team, wouldn't you? He's someone that, you know, gave it his all and he had an amazing strike. He scored, obviously, that goal against United in the FA Cup when he put it top bins um, at home at St Mary's. Uh, he also played, you know, had an unbelievable game away at Peterborough. I think it was a game under the lights, a really important game when he scored and also won a penalty, which is a little bit dodgy. We did actually ask him about that, didn't we, in the interview.
0: We do. We we put him on the spot a little bit and, and ask him straight up, did he dive? <laughs> Which, if, if you've seen the YouTube highlights of that Peterborough Saints game, you can make your own mind up. Um, Richard's obviously got his own view on it. But exactly. he also talks about playing, uh, as you mentioned, he loved playing against Posh, um, mm. partly because of that beef that he had with Darren Ferguson.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And who cares? At the end of the day, we got promoted. So, yeah, unbelievable memories. From my side, and I just think, yeah, what a player he was, and what a bloke he is as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, before we get to speak to Chappers, I just wanted to say, um, if you wouldn't mind, we've we've launched an Instagram page, um, same as our Twitter handle, OWT Saints Pod. Um, there's a link in our bio um, if you can see that there, and you can just drop your email in and join our our newsletter, which which will be every Wednesday we will kind of round up all the saints news that you might have missed through the week, um, put it in one email for you with links that you can, you can read that at your leisure. And we'll also add our little kind of spin on it, our opinion on, on the saints news of the week. So you can check that out. Um, We'll also have a little section where we'll preview the upcoming week's guests and you can ask questions that um, we'll, we'll put to them, whoever that may be. So, so yeah, if that's on our Instagram page, just check that out. There's the links in the bio um, and drop your email in there. That'd be brilliant. So without further ado, I think it's time that we should, um, we should bring Chappers in. Today's guest is a certified cult hero at St Mary's and I'm so happy we've been able to get him onto the podcast. He had two stints at Saints and was a key part of our double promotion squad, helping to take Southampton from League One all the way back to the Premier League. I'm delighted to welcome Richard Chaplow. Welcome, Richard.
2: Cheers, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm uh, just settling in at home and uh, in front of the day of self-isolation slash lockdown, so I'm not actually self-isolating, but uh, I'm definitely practicing the social distancing more, so um, yeah, just uh, getting ready for day 13 or whatever it is, I don't know, I've lost count.
0: Right, so yeah, so for our listeners that, that aren't aware, you're based in California now, is that right, with, with Orange County?
2: Yeah, so I'm over in New uh, Newport Beach, uh, mm-hmm. California, with uh, yeah Orange County Soccer Club, and um, yeah we're a, we're probably um, few guys back in England, uh, probably about ten days in front of, of you guys in front of um, in respect to where you are with the uh, lockdown etc. So um,
0: you mentioned you're at Orange County Soccer Club. Uh, you're the assistant coach there, is that right?
2: Correct. Yes, yeah, first assistant. They have it over here. So uh, okay. In, instead of you know he's basically the I'm the, the assistant directly behind the head coach. And then uh, in England, they just have, you know, obviously the gaffer, then the assistant, and then, you know, first team coach here. They just, uh, everybody's classed as, so to speak, on the coaching side as an assistant, if you're not the head. And they just label it first assistant, second assistant, third assistant, sort of. So it's just slightly different. So yeah, directly behind the gaffer. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's enjoyable. It's, um, it's obviously not a totally different direction but it's a completely new direction and uh, you know enjoying uh, enjoying it at the minute it's been it's been very good.
0: So you you um, were a player there uh, for a couple of years before moving into to the assistant role Um, how did that move come about then I mean because I think you're at Doncaster before that was it?
2: Yeah Um, so I was at Donny Um, and I think um, so basically we have family over here in um, just outside LA and we used to come over and visit them in the off season. Um, so always somewhere that we were aware of and was on our radar of potential places we could, you know, maybe look to, to live um, if the opportunity ever arised. And there was pretty much, this was the only place we ever considered. Um, but yeah, I used to come out for four weeks and, and, and knock around and um, came down to watch Orange County play one day. And uh, when I, I think it was the year before I actually came out and I just, I was in the area and I went to watch a game and got chatting to actually a, a lad that was the um, head of scouting and recruitment, Peter Nugent, who's funnily enough um, grew up 10 miles from me, <laughs> um, was a uh, head of Blackburn Rovers uh, recruitment team. And he'd moved out here for a new challenge. And, um, you know, two Lancastrian lads sort of got on and stayed in touch. And then, um, Six, seven months later, I got the opportunity. Uh, Pete, Pete picked up the phone and said they had a, an opportunity for me if I was interested, and um, it just came at the right time. Um, for me, we were looking for a new challenge as a family and as mm-hmm. on the football, so on and off the field, and it ticked all the boxes. We knew the area pretty well. Um, it's not too far from England in respect to you know the, the culture and the, the language is, is very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be very easy to adapt and fit into that so for the kids for example it was tick them boxes and um, yeah it's uh, been here now I lose, lose time and track I think um, I think this is my fourth year maybe four years here I've entering my fourth year I think yeah um, and obviously my my fourth season if you will so um, time flies and like I said enjoying every moment of it so far
0: and I was gonna, yeah, the, I was gonna say the climate as well, <laughs> slightly different to, uh, to, um, to the UK and even to kind of Doncaster <laughs> and, um, and Burnley.
2: Yeah, we're uh, it definitely cleared apart. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's beautiful out here. Anyone that's ever visited the, um, Southern California, um, knows that it's, it's a top top destination, not just to, uh, you know, obviously come and. and and have a holiday here but also um to live and um been very lucky that we've had the opportunity to do so but yeah the weather's amazing um, mm-hmm. r- rarely gets above uh you know 30 32 degrees and rarely falls below 20 really so anywhere we're in them brackets you know where you know once you start going above thirties, it can get a little bit um too much for people and understandable yeah. um And anything below twenty, like I said, it's at nights it drops a little bit in the in the winter months, but um, in the day it's always pretty much there or thereabouts. And uh, touch wood right now with the things that are going. You know, we we don't have hurricanes or anything like that over this side, so uh, very stable. We do have to keep an eye on the uh, the faults, unfortunately, and the earthquakes. Uh, We've had a couple since we've been here, but um, there's dangers and uh, things that can expose you in every place in the world. But uh, yeah, extremely lucky and uh, you know, we've settled in really well. So am uh, happy with how it's going so far.
0: You guys are in the USL, which um, I think I'm writing saying is, is basically the championship um, for... The MLS, if we kind of compared the MLS as the Premier League, the USL be the Championship, is that right?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um, the, the disparity of, is obviously different in respect to the levels, but um, yeah. yeah, we're 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 tier two if you want to, and MLS are tier one, so um, all right below them. Uh, there is no promotion relegations, but there are opportunities for people from sorry franchises or clubs to come from. Uh, our league up into the m l s if they prove that their instru- infrastructure is um capable of um being self sufficient and you know being able to um attract a soccer market in their uh in their area um, so it's a little bit more of a business decision over here rather mm-hmm. than um you know w- rather than a talent um sort of side of things um but the uh the leagues on both sides are are really really coming on and last Three, four or five years since I've been here uh, you know this the stand is really kicking on now and uh, they're investing heavily in it, taking it seriously there's a lot of kids are now starting to choose it as their first sport, obviously over here they have uh, a multitude of sports from volleyball, basketball baseball surfing all sort everything you can imagine the, the, the lacrosse is huge out here so there's so many sports to take away from each other. Um, I have even thrown in there American football and ice hockey, and they're two huge ones as well. Uh, you know, there's just so many different directions the kids can go out here uh, rather than England where it's, you know, just a core three or four. Um, yeah. um, so it's, it's definitely making moves, and um, the the market's growing. Uh, the interest is growing. the, the the public are getting more uh, invested in it um, and it's definitely becoming a more powerful, um, more powerful sport over here. So it's a great opportunity and, and time for me to be involved in it. Um, you know, and I know that they're very uh, invested in trying to push through and, and put a good product on the field for uh, the national team. I think that's basically their driver right now. Uh,
0: so from, from your perspective, um, like you said, you've been here for <clears throat> been in the US for four years now. Um, was the was the move into coaching something that you'd always thought about when you were coming towards the end of your playing career, and was it kind of a natural progression for you, having been at Orange County, to then step into the coaching staff there?
2: Um, it's not something that was always on my radar, being mm-hmm. honest. Uh, being younger, I always thought I'd never coach. Um, I was always a little bit of a, a joker and a prankster, so very. <laughs> lighthearted, um, took what I did very seriously, but was always up for a laugh and a joke and um, you know, it was I just didn't really think that my personality could be somebody um that would be taken taken as a coach in that respect. Um mm-hmm. I just didn't really think it suited me as as a person. Um but that was I would I used to think that way as when I was sort of twenty five, twenty six. Um it was actually I probably started maturing as a as a player um, with my views and my behaviours uh, once I got to about twenty six twenty seven, which was you know when I was just about coming into my latter years at Southampton. Um, so I actually decided and tried to make a mature decision Um <laughs> respect to I always used to look around and think that you know oh God, there's so many people that I made my debuts with now are out the game and really, really struggling um, to make ends meet. They're financially in difficulty, they're emotionally in difficulty. Um, you know, they're not in a in a good place and that was a worrying thing to see. Um, some of them were my friends, some of them mm-hmm. were people I'd played against, but it, it always seemed to be in the, in the papers or have you heard about such and such person and, you know, everybody knows everybody in the game. And, so, I tried to make a, a, a mature decision, like I said. And um, Southampton's, as everyone knows, um, the, the, the sports scientist side, the strength and conditioning, the health and wellness side of things is second to none. And um, I really bought into that when I came to Southampton and uh, felt it brought a lot of value to me as a player. Mm-hmm. And uh, felt it, it added a, it, the percentages. I, I felt that I didn't have earlier in my career. I felt it brought them to my game, um, and I decided to to uh, register in a sports science degree at Manchester Met- uh, Metropolitan University through the PFA and go down that route with an eye basically on uh, <clears throat> sorry, uh, an eye basically on on staying at Southampton long term. After my career had finished, obviously moving away and playing wherever I needed to play, but always with a view that hopefully I could I could come back and be part of the family um, in maybe five, six, seven years' time or a decade's time, and and my um, the path I wanted to take was 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 joining the medical side. Um, okay, going into being a, a strength and conditioning coach and, and working with the players, you know, bringing them back to fitness and um, and hopefully. Marriage in that with my playing experience um and then my qualifications uh and my uh understanding because I think I think it's hard when you've never played the game to and been in the game for so long to understand the footballer's mentality it's It's very much unique and different and individualized to the to us as as people we we're, mm-hmm. we're a little bit wired a little bit differently if you will and that's natural, you know, um, I think our experiences make us who we are. And um, I felt that if I could marriage all of them and bring them all together, that I would have a valuable um, toolkit, if you will, to, to help people off the field. And that's the direction I started going until I got to Orange County. And, and obviously I'd matured by that time another four years. And um, all of a sudden I was moving halfway across the world with my family. Um, didn't have the time, so to speak. Um, to finish my degree, I got two years into it. I have another two years still to go, which I can go and revisit that hopefully in the next uh, five, six years. It's the plan to get that completed. But um, I had to basically put that on hold and then concentrate on settling in here, making things work, moving house, bringing everything with me, making sure the kids were okay at school, the wife was okay off the field. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the more that I got playing, I started looking then into coaching and um, I. I think I just moved that direction naturally. Um, so, uh, like I said, very much enjoying it right now. And it's—I um, would say—if if you asked me now, if I was the same person now that I was when I was 23, would I have looked into coaching? I would have said absolutely, 100%. You know, I like I said, I still plan to to finish my um, my degree. And then, if yeah. any anything changes, you know, I hopefully there's always still a, a home for me at Southampton. It's the the one place that's. I would happily move away from uh, the Northwest forum. and um, I still have friends down there and Danny Butterfield still lives down there. Kelvin Davie still lives down there. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
2: Dan Harding still lives down that way. Um, guys, you know, that played for the club. I think Dan, uh, Dean Harding might still be down there as well. Sorry. Uh, uh, so yeah, plenty, plenty of people.
0: Well, from, uh, from, from, from my point of view, we'd, we'd absolutely love to, to have you back at St. Mary's. Um, as a fan, I think lots of people have probably mentioned this to you, but those, those league one and, and championship promotion seasons were some of the most enjoyable, um, seasons to watch as a fan. Um, but for those that might not realize that you actually did have a, uh, a short loan spell at saints, uh, in 2006, you're at West Brom at the time. Um, can you just briefly, I guess, just say how, how did that move come about? Um, I, I remember listening to you on one <coughs> podcast where you said you, you found out about that while you're having your breakfast. Yeah, on <laughs> Sky Sports. Sports News.
2: Yeah, um, <laughs> that's exactly how it came about on Sky Sports News. Yeah, um, so I I'd, I'd moved from Burnley to West Brom, and West Brom were in the in the Premiership. We were. Um, part of the great escape which was went down as history breaking season bottom at christmas and the only team to stay up although i think that might have now been achieved again uh since but uh first time that happened and this was our second season basically in the prem and i was uh just pretty much on the bench every week um brian robson was the was the gaffer there um Mm -hmm. fantastic man management and person and um but uh a lot riding on it, obviously the Premier League, the money, et cetera, et cetera. And I think he bought me as a sort of a project, if you will, to sort of slowly build into the team and um, was getting opportunity but not plentiful, not not often. And um, yeah, I was sat having my breakfast, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, up it came on Sky Sports News. Nigel Quasi was coming from Southampton on lawn and part of the deal, Richard Chaplow was going the other way. So um that was that was good to find out over my coin and um I went into uh, obviously finish my, <laughs> my breakfast and went in to see the gaffer and he said, yeah, sorry, I didn't have time to pull you this morning. And that's very much how it is as a, as a younger player. You know, you didn't really get much shave Even if I'd have said, no, I don't want to go, I'm, right. I'm going, you know. Um, it was a, probably the correct move for my career at the time. Gets me game time and uh, little did I know what I was joining at the time. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, new Southampton was a big club, but that's all I knew. Uh, drove down there and my initial thoughts were geez this is a long way from home you <laughs> know <laughs> coming from Accrington I was like this is I thought I was a long way before it. Well, in, in, in Birmingham Littons. yeah all of a sudden I feel like I'm in a foreign country in respect to time travel <laughs> and uh, but yeah loved it just absolutely loved it what a what a great club uh, it's, it's the people that i don't, Something special about it. I don't know if it's because it's actually like kind of on its own a little bit in yeah. respect to it. there's nothing else really around it in other clubs. I know Portsmouth is just down the road, but we don't count them anywhere. Exactly. And, um, it's uh, I think it's just unique. It's um, it brings uh, like an energy with it that I think can only be created because of its um, geographical position in respect to it's very difficult to live anywhere other than Southampton when you play for Southampton
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, because you, there's not many options. Uh, you obviously have have the new forest and that way and that's travelable, not a problem at all. And then other than that, you know, you're basically having to go up towards, towards London. Mm-hmm. And um, again, is that commutable? Yes. But it's just for most people out of, commutable distance and for that reason I would say 90% of people that play for Southampton tend to or they did when I was there and what my experience tend to to live in and around Southampton Um, and what that brings with it is like a a culture and 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 an energy if you will within the group that they spend a lot of time with each other and it's it basically breeds a family Um, which is one of the biggest challenges I think you have as a coach really Bringing a togetherness on the field, Um, but it it automatically breeds that with everything that comes with living and playing for Southampton. So, you know, if we went out off the field when I was there, it'd probably be shortest. Would probably be uh, in in amount of numbers would be ten of us, so five couples. But it could be it could be upwards of sixteen, eighteen, (laughs) twenty. 20 of us, wow, and, and that's unheard of. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's the only club I've ever experienced that, and um, it, it was amazing to be part of. Uh, we've got lifelong friends from there now, uh, the whole team pretty much, uh, even guys that didn't play that much in respect to um, people like you know, Anthony Pulis, yeah. Uh, um, you know, I, he, he's now over here in the US coaching, but you know somebody that stayed in touch with uh Lee Holmes massive part of our uh friendship group yeah. but probably only played when I was there a handful of games 10 yeah. to 15 games but like everybody was was in it everybody was um part of the family um from medical staff to physios to masseurs to uh kit man who's still there forward being still there uh, yeah <laughs> To um just everything about it was magical and um you know even just mentioned earlier you know yossi Wevel, we're talking about him and steve de Ritter, and yep. you know just foreign foreign lads that are often other clubs wouldn't be in your circle of of friendship or influence that are two very very close friends of mine message and speak with yours regularly um probably at least every couple of weeks to to weekly and uh steve or probably yeah on a monthly basis or at least bi-monthly which is you know i'm more than i can say for many of my other english teammates and um i think southampton did a great job at at providing that platform for us and um, very lucky to have been part of it um and obviously, I haven't even even touched on the fans yet, but um special bunch of people, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was that—that's something that that Jos and Steve both said. Really, the kind of sense of togetherness um, within within the squad, and where you'd go, and kind of Jos was saying that, that there would be kind of groups of twelve of you that would go for coffee and and would just hang out and stuff. And and I think that is, as you said, such a big part of building a successful team is is having that um having that togetherness um you mentioned a few names there i was going to say who who were the kind of the big characters in the squad i mean jos mentioned kelvin davis danny butterfield um and he also mentioned that the um the fine system that you had in place as well that, that brought out a few a few laughs on a friday
2: yeah so um just echoing that really kelvin was a big character um was just hilarious uh, funny <laughs> funny funny man um, but i think like we yoss was a big character as well but um we all had our like sort of role to play within the team mm-hmm. um, so you know lambo was the was was a massive character on the field but quiet off the field um sat in the corner about three or four places away from me um no one really messed with him um Apart from me, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious to to pork and prod Lambo and get him fined. I thought it was basically my was my How would you weekly, get him fined? My weekly task. Um I just uh, I have a, a a bit of an eagle eye, if you will, and right. I just would would notice everything. Um so we had a, a long list of fines. Um it could be anything from Toilet seats to flip flops in the shower to your trainers not being on your shelf when you left. So basically, underneath where your bench where you sat, you had like a, a little shelf off the floor that you used to have to leave all your, okay. your anything you were leaving in the chain, you had to either be stacked on that or on your peg so that the cleaners could come in. And again, we were, you know, we were thinking about the cleaners, they don't want to come in and pick all the power stuff off the floor cool. and then clean up. So that's the sort of, you know, the, the standards and the the habits that we had as a group, you know, and the respect even for the cleaners, so to speak, um, we didn't want them doing that. So, you know, if one of Lambos flip flops had slid off the shelf and was touching the floor, I would take a picture. <laughs> I'd take a picture of that and keep it on my phone until right. Friday. Until Friday, and then I would bring it up at the finds meeting, obviously armed with my, with my, uh, with my picture and my evidence. And yep. uh, yeah, I just used to think it was hilarious cause, um, because because Lambo was was absolutely bossing it on the field, and yeah. uh, he, he even said to me one day, he's like, "You know, I used to come in, just get on with my business, and, and and get on with things, and go under the mm. radar until <laughs> you arrived and uh, made my life hell." Um, <laughs> it was it was good, and then I had Steve Darida to my right, who was just a miserable man every morning. And again, I used to take great privilege and pride and. And personal, uh, personal laughter, at, um, just making him angry, basically. Well, so I wish, um,
0: I wish I'd knew that before I spoke to him, because Jos yeah. also said that the word that he used to describe Steve was grumpy. Um, oh, so grumpy, yeah,
2: <laughs> so grumpy. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. every morning he'd come in with a grey cloud over him. But you know, he, he had a, that was him. That was that's that was kind of like I said, it was his role in the team that. He was Mr. Grumpy, and um, basically, was it, my job was to break break down their barriers for the first twenty minutes and cheer him up a little bit. And then he uh, he actually had a wicked sense of humour about him, Steve, and um, uh, yeah, just full of good people. But uh, not many people have the ability to hold twenty five, thirty lads in a changing room, hold the hold their attention and laughter for you know, five minutes at a time and obviously Kelvin was, was club captain then and yeah he had he had that aura about him and but um Butz could do it just because he was just so funny. Um <laughs> he he could be anything, he was just uh off the cuff comedian. Um and yeah, just a, like I said, amazing, great great people in there. Uh, everyone had a little quirky character to himself from from uh from Jose and uh, yeah. From Gooley from you know uh, Connors and um, all the boys, yeah. Dean Hammond, everybody yeah. had their little their little thing, and everyone contributed. And yeah, the fine the fine committee on a Friday morning was was absolutely amazing. They used to look, <laughs> I used to get up Friday morning, jump out of bed uh, <laughs> with your get, evidence, get, get into get into uh, work get, a bit earlier. Yeah, just get everything prepped, get yeah. everything prepared, just so that. You know, when I stepped up in front of everyone, I made sure that I was, I was getting that money out of them. <laughs> so, um, no, good times, great times and uh, just lucky, lucky really.
0: Yeah, from your personal point of view, I wanted to ask as well, because so that, that second you came back to, to St Mary's on loan again, on um, that point we were in, in League One and I think Adkins had just come in from, from Pardew. Um, was it just the case that it was Southampton that were interested in you? Because, I mean, I guess you still had ambitions there of, of being top, kind of top half championship, if not Premier League, and then to step down to League One. Was that, was it because it was Southampton and you'd been there before and you knew um, you knew the club or was it Adkins or was it Cortese? What, what kind of brought you back?
2: Um, I didn't really know much about, about uh, Nige, really. So mm-hmm. um, it was definitely the club. Um, bit of a strange part of time of my career that um was everything was going really well at preston um and then alan irvine got sacked and darren ferguson came in and, and i could go through hours on, on why that brought down but um well actually it,
0: one of it, one of the twitter <laughs> questions that we've got is somebody asking what what what's the history of the beef between uh, okay. you and darren ferguson <laughs> okay.
2: well, well we'll come back to that at, okay. the, at the end um so yeah basically i had um that off season, I knew that I was available and could leave. Mm. Uh, I had Swansea very interested right at the first week after the season season had finished and I was kind of like oh i don 't know if I want to go to Swansea, you know don't know if I want you know? mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, to live down there sort of thing and, right um, obviously didn't know that year they absolutely tore the championship up. They were phenomenal, and then I was looking back at that thinking. Oh me maybe I didn't make a good decision. Um, and then Blackpool—I think that was the year Blackpool got promoted to the Prem. And Holloway had always been a big fan, and there was rumours that he might come in for me. That never materialised. So you know, I'm looking at two two decent opportunities there. And then then I get wind that Darren Ferguson is kind of badmouthing amidst people, and there was a very small amount of people interested, um, mm-hmm. which I. I found strange. I felt like I'd had a good year the year before um, and then I got back where that potentially that might be happening whether it did or whether it didn't I don't know um, but would maybe make sense for some some reasons but also um, it was kind of the reason that Southampton only took me for one month um, mm-hmm. because they hadn't heard great reports from, from Darren <laughs> I believe <laughs> and uh, they were a bit sceptical of whether to take take the chance you know and um mm-hmm. I think basically Nigel was a, an admirer of me as a player
0: yeah
2: but the feedback coming out of Preston from potentially Darren was you know I wasn't a good personality and
4: mm-hmm.
0: for
2: whatever reason and um I'd like to think I've proved that wrong now but um uh, yeah I think I'm, so <laughs> sure, sure many managers would would back me on on the on the that not being the case now and players but um mm-hmm it is the it's the business side of things, I suppose, but um so yeah obviously south Southampton came in and, and two reasons really one it was Southampton, and two, there was a lack of interest from other clubs. I wanted to get out and play again, and um I knew everything that Southampton was, and I thought, yeah it's league one it, it's not where I want to go mm-hmm. um, but i need to I need to get back on the field, and what better place to do that than southampton yep. um. And I think it took Nigel literally, I think, 10 days, two weeks to, to basically say to me, you'll be, you'll be here longer than a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he'd saw enough in them 10 days, two weeks to say it'll be extended to three months, um, which was basically, I think, financially a, a good decision on Southampton's part because Preston were paying, you know, 50% of my salary and, Southampton mm. picking up the other fifty percent. So if you can get me on loan and do that, then yeah. why not? And then at the end of that three months it became apparent about probably two months into that that they wanted to make it a permanent deal. And at that point I was more than happy my love affair had started again. It was everything that it was when I was there on loan and um, you know, we were going tremendously well on the field. Like I said, we had a, a great core group of, of people there and the Steve De Ridders and the Yosses of this world and not joined us at that point. Foxes, mm-hmm. the Billy Sharks had still not joined us at that point. But we had the Barnards, we had um, people like that in and around us. And, uh, you know, Morgan Schneiderlin was there, obviously. And we haven't even yeah. spoken about him a great player in person. Uh, David Conley was injured, but another, you know, the instead of wealth of experience, people sprinkled with youth, sprinkled with the magic of Southampton and everything that the club naturally brings in the, the family sort of feel and um, yeah, recipe for success and absolutely delighted when, you know, I got the opportunity to sign uh, Mm -hmm. sign long-term and uh, a little bit of a scramble because Darren got, got the sack. (laughs) 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 And <laughs> ten, ten days before I was due to to sign um, for Southampton, he got the sack. So I'm thinking, oh dear. All oh,
0: right, like, could jeopardise it? Could it have? Well, some... yeah,
2: the new, the new gaffer comes in at Preston and, and calls me back. Uh, deals up, deals off. Yeah. So um, I was basically negotiating with Preston at the time. The hold up was was um, I was negotiating with Preston a payoff. Um, because obviously I'm dropping down a level yeah. and um, I had a contract of another two years at Preston and you know they wanted to get rid of me Uh, it wasn't me asking to leave so you know normally how that works is they would say okay here's a a packet to leave and go elsewhere and uh, basically all I wanted was for them to make up the difference between what I was potentially going to get paid at Southampton Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't asking for a, a massive lump sum and uh, and then get paid at Southampton. I to make I didn't want to make money I just wanted to to make the same money yeah um, but then Darren got the sack and I was like alright where do I sign I don't want to go back <laughs> so I just yeah I just uh, signed the deal and I got it done I think in about 48 hours after him getting a sack and made sure that that was not happening anymore mm-hmm. um because we were fully fully in I was fully invested at that point in Southampton and um I didn't want to be anywhere else. Um, So yeah, it was. So so it was fun in games, getting it done. But um, obviously, Nigel at the helm and a great staff underneath him with um, with who he had and uh, yeah, Yeah. Dean Dean Wilkins and uh, Crozer and yeah, yeah, solid core of people. Um, Well, yeah, yeah, you ended up making
0: um, you ended up making thirty four appearances in that League One. Um, promotion season and as you said really the squad that we had there was was a real mix i mean you have mentioned morgan Schneider in france international now jose font um goes on goes on to his champions league player winning the euros and then we had ricky barnard connolly up front it, when you're when you're a part of a team like that that's going so well in league one um it must be fantastic i mean one from a from a team spirit point of view but also to be just going out every week and, and beating teams i mean i i feel that you, that Saints should have really won won the title that season i think we are a better team than brighton but it must have felt great to be in a team that good
2: yeah i think um, i think ultimately we didn't win it because i started at the start of the season where yeah you know obviously i wasn't there so yeah um, we can't blame you we'll blame can't, can't we'll blame me we'll blame uh, Pardue. yeah um, just was bang average, which is why Nigel went in there, which is why I arrived so thankful.
0: Yeah, worked <laughs> out, worked out well.
2: Um, although I have believed since that I was on, on Pardue's radar as well, so I don't know if I would have ended up there regardless, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, obviously, when I joined, we were mid table, yeah. um, bang in the middle, uh, floating in no man's land and not really you know, going anywhere. And um, I think I joined, I want to say. Must have been at least two and a half months into the season, maybe even three. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know that's off the top of my head. So, I missed mm-hmm. a good chunk of games. I must have missed fifteen games. To play forty, thirty-four, yeah, um, in you know two thirds of the season is for me probably a career high. <laughs> it's,
0: it's good, going.
2: <laughs> good going, good going. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was basically that was the reason I think our, our back end form. Um, you know even if you take maybe from the moment I walked through just mm-hmm. take it from there i think the points we accumulated would have blown everyone yeah. away in the league um yeah but we ultimately showed we were a better team than brighton by what we produced the year after in the championship which they couldn't they couldn't yeah. sustain you know we were leaps and bounds above them in that respect and uh, they came back to us the year after the promotion for the championship and you know we still had that little bit of uh Rivalry, should yes. I say, in a nice way. Uh, <laughs> I had a strong dislike for them, um, just because of the way that they acted on the field. Um,
3: yeah.
2: I felt Payet oh, yeah, in, in charge was used to charge them up, and mate, he just it just made them a, a horrible team to play against. Not in difficult, just, yeah. just used to roll around and it's like just yeah, just not nice. They just didn't they didn't have the. They didn't conduct themselves on the field. Though I feel like you should conduct yourself as a professional player.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, nasty little snidey games and stuff like that, which I had no time for, and that came from the top for me. That was the message they were getting mm-hmm. given from from him, and uh, for that for that reason alone, loved it when we just absolutely <laughs> smashed them in the championship. Uh, yeah, well, so I definitely uh, felt yeah.
0: the same as far as Brighton's concerned, and it was it was nice to beat them at their place as well when we were. We were in League One, going with, with Font's header towards the end. That was a one of the, one of the moments of that season.
2: Yeah, massive. That was absolutely massive. We had a we had a great trip back from Brighton on the bus after that, um, <laughs> a few beers and stuff. And that was like, you know, we had a, it was what we what we had at Southampton and then was very. It was a very new school feel um, in respect of how we handled ourselves on the field and off the field, and we were very professional. Mm-hmm. But Nigel was great in respect to it. He let us have them moments of you know a couple of beers or whatever it would be, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, the trip home from from Plymouth after uh, after promotion from what it wasn't mathematically, I don't think at that point, point hundred percent. But the trip, the the coach journey back from from Plymouth was was absolutely. Never. <laughs> Never experience. I don't think I can say some of the songs that we were singing on that on that. But, uh, <laughs> not they weren't rude or anything like that, but uh, you know, we were just uh we were ripping Nigel um, <laughs> in some of the songs and uh he was he was merry, we were merry, uh Nicola Cortez was on the bus, he bought all the beers on there, we stopped off at the off license.
0: Oh my god.
2: And, uh it was just a massive booze up on the bus on the way home and um, but came up with an absolutely unbelievable song for for Nigel, um, and uh basically just readjusted and tweaked a few of the words of a of a of a song well known to everybody, and the whole bus was singing it. And uh, it was... is
0: this is this song in the public domain? Like, do do people know about this song? Or... Uh,
2: no, I don't think they would do. I, I don't. I don't want to uh, bring it into. But it was just it was just funny, and Nigel took it very well. Um, yeah. We had a massive respect for him, of course, mm-hmm. um, but I think that was just like what we felt we could do as a group—that we could, you know, you could take the piss out of someone to, to, to and and they would take it for what it is. You right. know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. coming from a place of disrespect. It was everybody 100% respected each other, um, but you you have to be able to if you give it out a little bit, take it. And, yeah. You know, the group was, was very respectful. We never crossed the line, so to speak. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fantastic that even with the gaffer, you know, we could, we could have our laugh and our, and our joke with him to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but there was always that line there. Uh, but yeah, then, then moments, i uh, got a few videos still on my phone of, of <laughs> that trip back and it was so, so funny and you can you can never duplicate that, you know, it's, right. it's, it's never going to be able to be uh, replicated and um, just like I said, I've probably said it a few times in, in this chat and interview, but incredibly lucky to have been part of that. Um could have quite easily been somewhere else. could have been at a Swansea, could have been at a Blackpool and mm-hmm. you know, I never would have, have been part of, of that group and um very lucky and humbled to have just fell into where it was and um definitely a a, a life changer, you know. Um so mm-hmm. uh, great times.
0: We you kind of roll on three or four months and then we're in the championship and playing Leeds on the opening day of the season. Um, how quickly did you guys as a group and you personally I guess realise that not only were you good enough to stay up or or compete in the championship but you're actually better than the division and was that kind of okay opening day of the season against Leeds was that a kind of marker that you guys laid down did you feel that in the dressing room
2: I don't think any of us saw like I don't think we realised how good we were um, until we obviously beat Leeds and we thought oh Wow, that was pretty easy actually. Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, we basically just did what we did all last year, which was like second nature to us now. And wow, we just absolutely smashed leads. Um, and then I don't think it was till. I think it was after the the win for me personally. I think the penny dropped after we beat Brighton at home. Okay. Um, yeah, which we talked about. And we didn't beat them, but we batted them. Yeah. And, and you know they were a good team from last year. I think at that point as well in the championship, they, was, they still had a decent start. Um, and they weren't up there, but they were, they were beating teams as well. And I think once we beat them, we'd seen now that there was such a gap between us and them.
3: Mm-hmm. We
2: were like, all right, we, we've we really put our foot down here and like become something quite formidable, where they're still a good team, but we're now head and shoulders above them where can this go? Yeah. Um, and I think obviously we, we just took that and ran with it. And every, every game we were turning up on, it got to a point where we just knew we were going to win. Like mm. The Leeds game, in a weird way this is, yeah. uh, in, the, in the weirdest way, we got absolutely smashed a bit, but we were never losing. And I don't think I ever felt like we were going to lose or we were going to not win that game it was everything and more that we created over the past 18 months to get to that point that carried us through that game that won mm-hmm. us them points. Because if we didn't have every all the connections, the team spirit, uh, culture, everything that had been created over them, then months and months and months, there's, you know, we'd have probably rolled off that field five one down. Yeah. Um, but we knew that, they just couldn't get through us. It didn't matter. We could we could camp on the edge of our 18-yard 18 bo- 18 box. They weren't scoring because I knew that whoever was to my left, whoever to my right would do anything to stop that ball going in the net. Yeah. And I think there's, there's classic clips that go around now where I watch it laughing because I know what's going through people's heads and you've got Yoss diving in, you've got You've got people putting their heads on the floor in front of the ball. You've got Kel flying around in the bo- and And like the, the ball is only inside the six yard box yeah. with probably <laughs> probably like 18 players in there as well. And it's like, no, no chance, you're not scoring, sort of thing. And uh, it was walking off that, off that pitch there was as good of a feeling as you would get to winning a game five, yeah. six nil. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. when like, yeah. you walk off the field, you get in a changing room. And you just start laughing. You're like, <laughs> you like, lads, like, what, what was that? You know what I mean? What, like, we were, we were terrible. I we just won that game, sort of thing. But yep. we only won it because of obviously our, our camaraderie and everything that, everything that we've built over so many months. Um, there was, I think that that them seasons were, were meant to be, sort of thing. You know, it was it was a long time coming from the club, yep. um, And you know, we were we were lucky enough the, the boots on the ground to to put it in place.
0: But there's so many, so many moments, so many matches from that season. The Leeds game, um, the Millwall game away when um, we scored two in the last few minutes, Lambert, hat-trick, um, that that felt like we were on a great run then. And I think we were 2-1 down with about five minutes to go. And then Ricky gets two penalties. Um, that was a massive moment. Hull away after that, like the kind of run in there was it was just it, as a fan it was the most fun you could have watching watching a team just kind of get promoted and then and then just go straight straight through the division basically um so yeah i mean amazing memories really
2: yeah um, big more i think so many big moments and everybody has a different one you know like yeah y- yoss's might be different than mine kelb's might be different than yoss's yours mm. might be different than ours uh you know uh Lana's might be different than you know than than Fontes and Go- like everybody's everybody's got their memories yeah. yeah now some of them will probably uh, coexist together and and sort of intertwine but everybody has their memories and I think that's what's that was great about that time you know that um, you know I have people just randomly tweet me about oh, I remember when this and that and and then jog my memory like, oh yeah I remember that but. Amazes yeah. me that that's what sticks out for them, or that's what sticks out for the next guy, and um, I think that's what's part of being a fan. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we were, I think, you know, in a way, not only players for the club, but we were massive fans at the time. You know, we were just bought into everything that was put in front of us, and um, unique in that respect.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of those for me, actually. Just, you just I'm just looking through the Wikipedia page of the results now. Um, but three games into the season, we'd beaten Leeds and we beat Barnsley away. And then we went to Ipswich and then just beat him 5 2. And I was yeah, like, hang casual. on a minute. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> hang on a minute. We just put five away from home um, past Ipswich. And was like, yeah. wow.
2: I remember that game. Like, we absolutely like ran rings around
0: them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Had scored an amazing goal. Uh, Lambo scored a couple of goals. Like, we were like, they couldn't get the ball off us. Yeah. We're, yep. We were, head again, head and shoulders above them.
0: It was the case of what watching Sky Sports Gillette soccer Saturday. what well, wasn't Saturday, actually, I think it was a Tuesday night. Um, but yeah, two nil two up inside 11 minutes. And we're just yeah. like, what's going on? <laughs> like, How good are yeah, we? Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the questions that I wanted to ask actually is uh, something that I talk about with, with Jack, who I do the podcast with quite a bit. But you, you had two stints at, at Saints and played, I think you've played with with all of the players I'm going to name here, but obviously played with Lallana, um, Ox in that League One season. um, Gareth Bale, I think, was there when you were on loan in 2006. And Walcott, and then Shaw was kind of coming through. Luke Shaw was kind of coming through um, when we were in that championship promotion season and then in the Prem. Of those kind of Southampton Academy players that come through, was there one that stood out to you as head and shoulders above the rest, or? or...
2: So I wasn't. I wasn't there with Walcott. He just left. Okay. Um, I think. I think now, if you look, and obviously out of them all, I think Gareth's gone on to be uh, the superstar, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I've said it in in every single interview that Lallana's the most talented player. Yeah. Um, he was. For me, the guy that if we'd have lost him in League One, if we'd have lost him in the Championship, we'd have been struggling. Yeah. Uh, Lambo obviously for a big reason with his goals, but Adam just made everything tick Uh, in the really difficult moments where we needed one player to carry us. For me, it was ads. It it, it was Lambo could score from anywhere, but ads could literally. Get the ball, keep the ball,
3: mm-hmm.
2: cut teams open, uh, create things for Lambeau. he could do it he could do it all um, mm-hmm. he also scored in a, a magnitude of goals, obviously that season uh, I want to say close to twenty. I don't know if it is that, but um, uh, okay. it was it was yeah. definitely up there, uh, which for a midfielder <laughs> is is phenomenal yeah um, League one, we lost chamber to Arsenal. Um, but I think the feeling in the squad was we, we could replace a little bit of what he, we'd lost with Chamber, regardless of how talented a lad he was. Yeah. Um, it was it was Lambo and and, and Ads that uh, kept us going. And then in, in the championship, Pardew was always sniffing around Ads. Mm-hmm. Um, he would have been at
0: Newcastle then, was he?
2: Newcastle, yeah. So yeah. you know, credit to Ads, he's getting offered, he's getting offered big, big opportunities mm-hmm. from Pardew, uh financially and he's he's turned them down to stay at Southampton so which a lot of people probably wouldn't know and I know now he's probably not the apple of everyone's eye in respect mm-hmm. to how things left and went to Liverpool but for many many years Ads, Ads didn't go to a bigger offer a bigger team because he wanted to be at Southampton and he, he did sacrifice because it was um it was a good choice and he, it was the right choice and for his career as well. He stayed at Southampton in them earlier moments in his career when he could have left and, and gone and got weighed in and um, stuck it out. And for me, he was like I said, he was he was a massive, he was the, the, the naturally most gifted player that I've played with, mm-hmm. having played with all of them guys. Um, and I think the his strengths shone through the year he won uh, England national team player of the year. He yeah. won, um, I think, the the year that he played at, at Liverpool where he, he had an injury-free season. He was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and people have short memories on that. And yes, he is one of my friends and uh, I, am, I, am, uh, I will support him on that. But um, I think he gets a lot of stick um, for how things ended. Yeah. And could he have conducted himself better in their moments? I think we all probably can and could. Um, but I think the loyalty that he he gave in the earlier stages of his career, for me, far outweigh that. And at the end of the day, I love Southampton, um, but it's Liverpool. <laughs> it's like I, didn't I know, say. yeah. You, <laughs> so, I mean,
0: it, um, he he did, yeah. You're right. I mean, he does. He gets low, He does get stick for that. But you, I yeah. mean, you have to you have to hold your hands up sometimes. And rightly right. so. Right yeah, soft,
2: Patrick. Let's give him stick as well. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's... That's part of the game, isn't it? You know, it it's is like, part. We need a villain. We always need a villain, and um, I'm uh, we, I'll will join the fans in giving him stick just to <laughs> just to uh, to do that. But um, I think we should never forget what it is, you know. And at the end of the day, it's it's a people have have a very strong like Southampton fans absolutely love uh, Southampton. Liverpool mm-hmm. fans absolutely love Liverpool. Burnley fans absolutely love Burnley, and. When your favorite player leaves, he's now the villain. So it's let's hard. Not... It's hard, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs>
4: it's <laughs> a
2: it's a heartbreaking uh, moment, and you know people deal with it in different. But we're all grieving. Exactly. All grieving,
0: that's how people. Know. That's how you deal with it. You just cut them exactly. Off. So yeah.
2: um, now I'll, I I'm gonna join in and giving him the in the stick, but <laughs> I don't think he deserves it. But I do enjoy giving it him. So there you go.
0: Well, actually, one of the things you said there it just interests me. I mean, when you're in a dressing room like that and there's interest from other teams, is it something that the players talk about amongst themselves that will give another team mates...
2: Not on a a changing room scale. Uh, You all have, within the big group, you have your littler groups and then your smaller groups. So you'd have like two or three that are like really, really tight. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you'd have from that... um, two or three groups of the two or threes that are very close. Yep. And then from that, you build out again. So there's still layers within that group. We're yep. all really, really close, but you got small, tight in it as you go smaller down the group. So them sort of conversations you would have with, you know, your, your closest, closest um, teammates. So probably only a couple. Um, and then uh, you wouldn't discuss them sort of things in as a team, you know, mm-hmm. because it's not really the one, the dumb thing or, you know, people would, people would joke about it as a team. So someone would shout across the chain rooms, like you've changed Alana. You you must be going off to Newcastle or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You would shout that across the chain rooms as banter, but you would never discuss, uh, you know, people's potential moves or whatnot. It's a private matter, you know, it's, yeah. it's a private matter. So you would keep that a little bit closer to your chest. Um, but, you know, there was always, rightly so, we had a lot of talent in that squad and, you know, it got decimated uh, after a first, first couple of years in, in the Prem. Um, yeah. Because I think ultimately, unless, I mean, again, you go back to football's a business, um, as much as people don't want to and don't always agree with that. For the players, um, it's a short period of time that they can maximise um what they can earn, um, as long as it doesn't jeopardize what they feel they can achieve as well. Mm-hmm. And um, as long as it's not bordering on online greed uh, in respect to you're already getting paid tens of thousands, and this guy's, this club's going to give you an extra 10,000. You know, like we're all well versed in what Premier League players can earn nowadays. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any need for anybody to go from club A to Club B to earn an extra ten thousand when you're already getting paid mm-hmm. a significant amount. But when and on Southampton side of things, you know, they were in a position where they could even compete with people like Liverpool, um, people like Manchester United, they're in a different bracket. It's yeah. you can't even get close.
3: Yeah.
2: And not only can you not only get close, but at the end of the day, it's like I said, as much as I love Southampton, it's Liverpool and it's Man United. Yeah. And once them teams come knocking, you know, they're they're on a different scale right now to Southampton. And it's very, very difficult as a player. And and being a player, I, I would never ever judge any anyone for taking that opportunity. I mean Lambo went, he had to go. Yeah. Was it oh, the, that, you, you yeah. ask him now, he'll say, I shouldn't have gone, I should have stayed. But, you think you'd
0: say that? I mean he had to go, didn't he? It was Liverpool and I
2: think I think if you ask him now for for what happened after and the way that things kind of petered out for him after that. Yeah. I'd be I think it'd be fifty fifty maybe. I couldn't obviously answer that, but it's Liverpool is is amazing uh for him because of everything he he's got and I think even knowing what he knows now, would he still cho- choose Liverpool? Yes, yeah. because it's it's like his boyhood team yeah. and, and it's Liverpool. He had to go and give it a try. But I think a bit of him would probably be like, you know, he loves Southampton and, and everything that came after that didn't mm. quite go to plan. If he'd have stayed at Southampton, things might have continued along the same path. So a really difficult one, I would say, on that path. But I think for everybody else, it's, it's pretty much... You know, apart from maybe Morgan, it's pretty much worked out. You know, yeah. I, I, Ox is doing great things. Ads has had, an, has, you know, well, all being COVID nineteen takes its toll, but <laughs> looks like he's going to get a champ a Premiership medal. Um, yeah. Won the Champions League. Um, you know, it's it's worked out for people. Uh, Luke Shaw's not not really kicked on and done what we thought he was going to do, but he's still got that talent. He's still. It's still, still, there. it's still an absolute world, well not quite world class but an, an elite player um, yeah. which without a leg break probably is even more dominant but mm-hmm. a fit a fit Luke Shaw there's not many better left backs in the world um, so I think credit to Southampton that they've been able to nurture that talent and bring it through and, and it's a little bit of a sore spot I think for everybody that it's not still at Southampton but ultimately we still have something very very special there and i think we should be grateful for that you know
0: absolutely yeah i think it's it's a point of pride for the club really to have those the caliber of players to come through like that um and obviously you'd love to you'd love for them to stay but as you said sometimes when these these teams come in you can't begrudge somebody a move um whether it's Liverpool or Real Madrid or or whoever, yeah, um, that's just the way it works. Sometimes it's the food chain, the football food chain. But to go to go on from there, then from the championship going up to the Premier League, from from your from your personal point of view, it must have felt like okay, I'm back now in where I want to be playing. Um, and was it particularly difficult then for for them to see that Nigel or, or however it, it it kind of played out that. You weren't really as much a part of the the starting eleven as you had been in the championship.
2: Yeah, um, there's probably no great way to say it, but I was I was pissed when you didn't play me in the champ in the Premiership. Like yeah. not 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 ten games in. Like listen, like if we're ten, fifteen, twenty games in, I'm not in your team. Five games in, I'm not in your team. Like no problem. You mm-hmm. know that's. But I think I'd done enough in previous seasons for Nigel to to warrant getting a a starting place in in the opening game of the season. Yeah. You know, and I think for me, it was disappointing. Personally, obviously very disappointing, but I think disappointing to quite easily sit across from Naj now and and tell him that that was whatever I want, however I want to label it, but tell him that that was nonsense, basically. Mm -hmm. Because I think I'd done enough and performed enough and, and given him enough and proved myself enough to him over them 18 months <clears throat> that I should have been in that starting eleven. Now, whether I lose my starting place over the coming weeks, not a problem. But I think mm. for me, I had an issue with the fact that it just put me on the put me out the team um, from a team I played in regularly in the championship. I think you should, you work and you deserve the opportunity to hold on to that spot and. At the time, the person that started in front of me for that game was James Ward, James Ward Prowse. Now, yeah. obviously, Prowse has gone on to have a, a, a great career himself and that's obviously proven to everybody that he's a, he's a very integral part of what Southampton Football Club is all about. But Prowse, he had only trained with us for six weeks in the pre-season. He hadn't trained with us once in the season, in the championship season. As soon as we made pre- the Premier League, the pre-season, we came back. Prousey and and Luke came and, and joined the the squad from the youth teams, yep. uh, trained for six weeks, and next thing you know, he he starts James Ward Prouse in the opening game of the season. I I thought that was on my behalf. I thought it was very distasteful, disrespectful on that. Um,
0: Did he explain that to you at all? The the decision, or was it just this is the starting eleven? I think
2: I think the one thing, Nigel's is a, a fantastic manager a fantastic person um really really good at what he does for me his weakness is his his inability to to answer them questions Mm -hmm. so if i asked him why i'm not playing he couldn't never he couldn't really ever give me an answer Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um and that as a player is something that as a coach is the one thing that i've i've i take with me just tell them yeah this is whether they're going to like it or whether they're not going to. Just tell me because I would have felt better knowing Rich you're not playing because um, I've been told or I think he's a better player than you. He's doing this and you're not. Or I've been told that we need to inject some youth into the team.
3: Yeah.
2: Whichever way it might might be, I've got to be big enough and strong enough as a player to take that on the chin and and try then prove you wrong or prove. Mm-hmm. Whatever the the reason is, incorrect. Now, if you don't know that, you're never given that chance. And I think, I think for me, that was the biggest. Um, that was it was a very difficult thing to swallow. I still, I'm not. uh I, I still very much enjoyed being part of it all and loved. Nothing changed for me personally, but I was just mad that I wasn't getting the opportunity. You know, um, yeah. which I felt that I, sh- I should have been given. Um, but credit to 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 Prowse and I think I think we've seen since that clubs have used that policy sometimes you know they decide that they're going to put youth in there and somebody yeah. has to has to bear the brunt of that and has it worked out long term absolutely of course it has but I don't think playing me in the first game would have changed Prowse's career and I don't think it would have changed Southampton's results um because I feel at that point I could offer more than James Ward-Prowse but I feel, you know, maybe 18 months down the line, James Ward-Prowse could offer more than Richard Chaplin. So, right. um, and I think, you know, it's the decisions are taken and made and you've got to respect them. But um, I felt on that occasion, it was it was a poor decision. Um, and it was also, as you asked the question, I, I felt it was poorly handled.
0: Mm-hmm. Did that kind of set the tone then for the rest of that season um, from your from, from your point of view? Because obviously, Nigel lasted until um, I think it was February and then got then got sacked and I mean just on that what was the general view of the dressing room when when Nigel got sacked because obviously Saints fans it is a double promotion and even general football supporters were kind of incredulous about the fact that this guy is taking Southampton from League One to the Prem and then six months into the season and we weren't we weren't by far and away the worst team in the league. We were, we were down there. But um, what was the view of the dressing room to kind of that that happening and Mauricio coming in?
2: I think a, a, an element of surprise, but also not surprised. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, again, surprised because of what we what he'd, he'd done, but we were. I think we felt as a changing room, we were. You know, we were struggling to get yeah. results and. I think, you know, Nigel had never been there himself. Um, Some of us had never been there. Um, And I think, ultimately, a bigger decision was made to try and bring somebody in that could bring the best out of us as a team. Um, And that's, again, been proven right. Does it feel right at the time? Maybe Mm -hmm. not. Maybe it does. But I think um, the team that had absolutely dominated the championship was not given the opportunity to perform in the Premier League Uh, it wasn't just me it was across the board you know everybody got you know you could talk about the likes of Danny Butterfield and Fraser Richardson and they're in the same boat as me
3: you know
2: guys that have contributed immensely throughout the throughout the, the two years and just not even been given a sniff in the Premier League and then to make matters worse club and the team suffering we're not actually performing very well on the field but we're so far down the road of us not playing that it's hard to turn back and go back to what you probably got you there Um and I think it was just a case of oh, we'll just keep ploughing on and see if we can win again but never really looked like we were going to win many games mm-hmm. Um and it kind of started feeling a little bit like that in the changing rooms Um where we're going out, not knowing, like we'd been in previous seasons, and know we were going to win. We're going out thinking probably going to lose here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it can happen quick, and that's it's fickle game, and them um, both. You know, like we touched on different scenarios. It, results can change quickly. Uh, opinions can change quickly. Team selection can change quickly. Um, everything can change. You know, so it's it was a case I think of. The change had to be made because mm-hmm. of the direction we were heading, and I think it was list- literally probably a toss up whether or not the United States we go down or we, or we stay up. Um, but I think probably a, a more of a t- we'll be going down. Yeah, um, so the powers that be made them tough decisions, and it was it proved to be a good one.
0: Yeah, I mean, how how quickly. From when Mauricio came in, did you did you well? I, I guess it was a relatively difficult position for him coming into that dressing room. How quickly did he he make an impact? From the outside, it seemed to be almost immediate.
2: Yeah, it was immediate. Yeah, um, <clears throat> came in with. It's difficult because we all have our ceiling level as as people. So I, you know, I have a I can maximise my abilities to the absolute most. But am I ever going to be a regular in the Premier League, probably not, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I accept that, and I think the same goes as coaching. We spoke about it earlier like, you have a for me a, a level that you can operate at, and you can get better and touch that ceiling and try and maximize that through however you do it. But ultimately, we all have a, a potential level we can get to, and I think Maurizio's is obviously higher than yeah. the majority of other coaches out there so yeah. that's I don't think that's a slight on, on on Nige I think what he achieved in them two and a half years were absolutely phenomenal but I don't think he could ever have achieved what Maurizio achieved yeah um, and I think that's just talking honestly about yeah. that and um, again that's probably now proven through what we've seen over the, the past five years yeah um, but he, he, his his impact was immediate. His attention to detail, his way of playing, his philosophy—what he just took it to a different level. Something that obviously I only experienced once, and that's under him. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that um, many many players have only experienced that under him because there's not many coaches in the world can produce what he can do. Um, you know, there's probably a handful of world class coaches that can. Um, provide what he provides and um, it's there's so many different directions to it and I think ultimately um, it comes in strength and depth I mean he has he has a technical staff with him that he takes everywhere and every single one of them has their role and responsibility and he's absolutely masterful at bringing that out and delivering it day in day out Um, just as he is a master of doing what he does. And I think um, he just had a well-oiled team and he made us into a a well-oiled team. But I think ultimately we doubted if we could do what he was asking us to do because it was extremely uh, demanding physically. Um, And none of us had been pushed like that before. But I think ultimately he... He wanted us to be one of the hardest working teams, pressing and be absolute animals on the field. Uh, he showed us why he wanted us to be like that, because he felt we could get results. And then and then he's, he showed us how we were going to do it. But none of us had ever been through that how before. Of, yeah. You know, that process. It was a brand new process to us. And training was mental, Like <laughs> I'm a fit lad, and it was unbelievably odd so I don't know how, how Lambo felt but um
0: <laughs> even halfway was, through the season to do yeah. that as well because it's not it's not pre-season is it it's the middle it's no. February
2: so I think like I said there was, there was there was a few of us looking at each other across the changing room, thinking this guy's lost the plot like <laughs> um the first week he's come in he's running us right in the season and he's and he's working us not always just running but like just the intensity was through the roof and Mm -hmm. like that was driven through him and through his staff every single day and to pull out then that intensity that you know you could sustain for short periods or you felt like you could only sustain for short periods and then ultimately we go out on the field and and again I was you know a bit part to this I was either on the bench or or um in the stand and that didn't really matter to me at that point because mm-hmm. he created like a, again, he, he just added everything. So like, we already had a great team spirit. He made it better. We already had a good intensity about us. He made it better. We had a great style of play. He made it better. And all them little margins of making it better ultimately kept Southampton not only in the, in the premiership, but now have made them a, a team that are consistently in the champion, in the premiership, sorry. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's been again ups and downs to our position in the Premier League, but ultimately he gave Southampton the foundation to achieve what they've achieved um, in the Premier League.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to get onto some of these questions from, from, from Twitter, um, conscious of, of time. So um, the first one was going into that championship season, where did you think you'd finish at the start?
2: Uh, Mid table
0: yeah
2: yeah i think so i think uh i think realistically to think right we go up a level we finish mid-table in a competitive position and then look to push again the year after for playoffs and promotion i think is a is a sensible way to look at mm-hmm. um but obviously that soon changed after about six or seven games
0: right yeah um Alison asks, "Your favourite thing about Southampton after the fans, of course." <laughs>
2: um, the the friends that I've brought away from there, and that that includes some fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that everybody's very um, just seems to be on the same level. It's got there's a lot of good people yeah. that are either involved directly or indirectly with Southampton, and um, whether that's um, Guys in the changing rooms that we're, uh, I'm friends with still, whether that's medical staff that I'm still friends with, uh, kit men, ticket staff, fans, all the way through. Um, yeah. all, all, the, all the friendships that I brought from that place.
0: Aaron asks, of all the goals that you scored for Saints, what was your favourite? Um,
2: I'm going to say the United goal, which is yeah. probably... It's probably an easy choice for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and I was picking between that and the goal against, that goals against any goal against
0: Peterborough. yeah I thought you might say that that's what I thought you might
2: but yeah, I think the united one because again um I think it added a little bit to us as a team
3: mm-hmm. we
2: just we just competed with man United and winning in league One. yeah, and then we had a, we were so close to actually coming out of that game with, with the win. Yeah. Which at that point would have been unheard of. At that Man United huge, team yeah. was yeah. winning Premier League medals, you know. Um so I think that added a little bit of more belief to to us as a as a team. Um but obviously, it was also an after its finish. So,
0: <laughs> The next two questions, I'm going to combine them, actually, because you just mentioned Peterborough. The first one was Paul, who says, what's the reason for the beef between you and Darren Ferguson? And then Jack says, um, favourite game in a Saints shirt. Uh, for me, it was a 4-4 away uh-huh. to Peterborough. Uh, and did you dive for that pen? Okay. Um, <laughs>
2: so... Uh, taking the first question um yeah. basically the uh, the beef started at preston um i was struggling with with an injury that i was getting injections for every game um
3: mm-hmm.
2: to play through that got to the point that was something i was struggling with before darren came in that got to the point where it was almost unbear- unbearable to to play it was it was so painful um and I had, to, I had to drop out eventually, but I'd been doing it for three, four months and he called or I got, he didn't do it directly, which is always a problem right. indirectly to other people. He, he said to the, those people that I was standing injury,
3: okay.
2: um, which obviously personally, you always know whether you, you are or you're not, but I think anybody that calls out anybody's integrity is, and doesn't do it directly to them is, um, not somebody that I would probably get on with too well, um, yeah. per se, um, and that came to a head ultimately at, at Preston, which resulted in me um, obviously leaving. But um, I just think the way he handled the whole situation was was personal. It was never from a, a business uh, mindset. He put a move a, a stop on a move back to me, going back to Burnley in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um he put a stop on me going to Blackpool in the Premier League. He's put a stop on me going to um other clubs by verbally, you know, um, talking about me apparently again behind my back. Um mm-hmm. So that it just became very personal. Um and it all stemmed from from that claim of him uh, saying that I was feeling an injury really. So right. um that is where the beef came from. That is okay. why I enjoyed um scoring so much against not peterborough because i have nothing against peterborough but against any team that he was managing yeah. uh because it was always i had every opportunity when i went out there and he was a like, manager to prove him and just rub it in really yeah. uh, an extra bit of fire so um, that's where that came from and um what was
0: the other question? Jack, yeah, Jack's his favourite game in the Saint shirt. is the 4-4 away to Peterborough, sticks in the memory. But for you, what would be your favourite game? And the penalty, I right? Um, and, and did, the I pen, dive, yeah.
2: did I dive for the penalty? I'll say I, I went down easily for the penalty. Okay. Um, is it a dive? I think dive's a bit harsh, but it's yeah. not. It's sort of halfway in between. Yeah, um, no, I know what you mean always taught as a kid that when you get the ball you've got to, to drive across the front of defenders and, and so they can either one, not tackle you or two, make contact and foul you. Yeah. Um, so that's what I tried to do and mm. um, yeah, probably initiated slash went down a little bit easy um, but that was instigated from my uh, inner feelings towards Darren. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I think uh, that's definitely up there as, as a game. Um, but I think the 3-1 beating um, of Brighton that we mentioned earlier at home for me was, I absolutely loved that game. Yeah, um, Just because yeah. it, it showed them we were classier, better on another yeah. level to them and you didn't have to do it in the, in the snidey way that they tried to do it.
0: I like that. I like that choice. Yeah.
2: Great um, game. So yeah, but um, just to finish on the Darren thing, actually, we're actually we're actually now good. We're all good because um, I went to Doncaster and uh, Dickoff got sacked in, my, mm-hmm. in the first ten games in charge. Which uh, and lo and behold, obviously Darren Ferguson comes in as the uh, as the head coach, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was that was a funny couple of weeks when he came in. Um, it's funny how
0: that but, works, isn't it? That sort
2: of... yeah, but I think, um, it was a mixture of that at that point of again, maybe my my immaturity and where I was at that stage in my career as a young 23 ballsy 24 year old player, um, and his inability and maturity as a coach, um, where he'd not experienced, he'd only ever been at Peterborough and now he was coming into Preston, and you know, he felt he had to act and do a certain thing and I think having now us both sat down with each other after that Mm -hmm. um at Doncaster uh me as his player again and him as my uh, boss again uh we both said that we handled it poorly and we both admitted that we could have done things better Mm -hmm. and um you know for us I think now it's it's water under the bridge and you know I actually now have a, a lot of respect for him um which is, is nice. You know, I feel he's, he's somebody I could probably call up and ask for advice from,
3: mm-hmm. um,
2: which was never something I felt like I would have been able to do uh, in them early playing days after uh, finish because, you know, there was definitely a little bit of um, dislike for each other. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's all fun and games again. You know, like I said, it's there's always villains in football. And um, I think it's good that we can now... Uh, be be bigger about big bigger about the problem that we were then, and yeah. uh, sit across a table from each other, share a coffee, laugh about it, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we did and uh, and say that we 've grown from the experience I think that 's incredible
0: yeah no that is yeah the lo- the one that I wanted to end on actually, I thought it was quite an interesting question that came in um, from matt it was was um, about football in the in the u s and it says having played at Orange County. Um, and now being the assistant coach. What do you think about young Saints players like Josh Sim- Sims playing for, for Red Bull um, and Tyreek Johnson um, in the USL? Um,
2: I think anywhere that they can go. I think it's now a competitive enough, a competitive enough level yeah. that um, that it can be a, a place where they can go and have a positive change. Um, obviously, Southampton have a relationship with Hartford, obviously where Raddy is he yeah. is the head coach there and they're sending some of their uh, you know better academy uh, players there, guys that maybe aren't quite first team ready yet or aren't kind of sniff into there which um, but I think ultimately yeah it shows I, I think the growth of league over here but also with Josh, Josh Sims where he's concerned um, you know i I don't know his stats off the top of my head but um, I think he's obviously a talented player but he hasn't really got his career going um, yeah. for one reason or another. Um, is he of Premier League standard? I wouldn't be able to answer that um, but what I would say is that he he obviously quite clearly can play at a good standard whether that be Championship or a good League One club mm-hmm. and um, I would probably say that the MLS is is probably that's where they're at. Um, right. They're probably for me bottom end championship, top end League One mm-hmm. standard. Um, and has that Im- the board. has that improved
0: in the time that from say you you joined four years ago? What was the standard like then versus what it is
2: now? Yeah, I'd say it's improved. Yeah. Um, I would say when I first came over, I watched a few uh, Galaxy uh, Galaxy games, and it was probably like top end League One. Okay. Uh, and the reason it's that is because such a strange model but they have like four players in there they're called DPs designated players that are on massive wages people Mm -hmm. like Slattens and Schweinsteiger Beckhams Gerrards Robbie Keynes, them sort of guys they're the the DPs so they come in without obviously without doubt they lift it Uh, you know them players if if you put four of them players into a League One team they're going to lift it, you know, and make, yeah. it, make it a good team. Uh, but they also then have players in the, in the teams that are on, like, that are fresh out of college and yeah. wouldn't even, some of the lads probably wouldn't even, I don't know, they probably wouldn't even get in Southampton's under-23 team, mm-hmm. you know, but they're playing MLS. So I think that st- structure, the way that they have it, is ultimately as a whole, you bring it all together, um, lowers the level down to you know a, a diluted championship level or a, a, a decent League One level now I I say that but probably some league teams that are getting uh, promoted from League like for example Southampton when we got promoted from League One mm-hmm. um, I would expect us to quite easily beat 95% of the MLS teams mm-hmm. with, that, with that team that we are mm-hmm. just based on the fact that you know, of the level that we got to. Um, now we were uh, probably a um, uniquely one team, but um, mm-hmm. I think, I think that, that gives us an idea of back in the UK of where the MLS is at. It's definitely not close or even close to being able to compete with the Premier League yet. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's proven through Premier League teams coming out here on pre-season and playing MLS teams who are in season and beating them comfortably, um, and the Premier League teams don't have their fitness levels. Um, but yeah, I think I think uh, I think it's a good place for people like Josh to come and play because it replicates that level. And I think if they're in England, that's probably right now where they're at.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: okay. Until a Josh gets in, Sims gets goes out there and plays fifty games in the Championship and proves he's is a Premier League player, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. But he, yep. he needs that opportunity. So, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, I think, in a nutshell where it's where it's at. Well,
0: that's great. Well, Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much for your time.
2: Appreciate it, Patrick. Nice chat.
0: Hello, it's Patrick here. Just popped up to let you know what to expect on next week's podcast, episode five of ON the Saints. We'll be chatting to former Southampton media officer Jim Lucas, who is now the managing editor at the FA, working with the England national football team. Really looking forward to chatting to Jim. He was at Saints between 2012 and 2016, working closely with Adkins, Pochettino and Kuman We'll be talking to him about what it's like working for a football club media department, what the role involves and what it's like working on transfers on deadline day. We'll be asking him what he's up to now at the FA and we'll also be talking to him about general digital media trends. So that's next Monday, um, dropping on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else you download your podcast. So keep an eye out for that. It's Jim Lucas next Monday on I Win The Saints. Have a good one.